Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spend my dollar. What you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to, and it wasn't pretty, but it was beautiful edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. By no measure was this a complete game for Alabama. But has there ever been a game with more to take in, more to experience, more to absorb? Good plays, bad plays, dumb plays, huge plays, and potentially season-impacting trajectory type of plays. Uh, Stretches of dominance, a quarter of despair, a blowout, then a close win, then a game that we might let run down our legs. Then, out of seemingly nowhere, a three-score spread covering Alabama doing Alabama things type of win. It was a passing game led by a dominant defense. Then suddenly, an explosive running game bonanza spackling over a run of suspect defense. It was a road game dressed as a home game. It was a proud parent watching your child grow kind of day wrapped in an outing generating miles of tape begging to be studied. Whatever Alabama accomplishes this season – it will sprout from the seeds planted this day, this day of days. Offense, you're up. Wow. Okay, so Bryce Young had a day, right? Uh, he was seven completions for 173 yards, passing the ball down the field, uh, which has, had, has been a question. And doing so, when Arkansas came out in a dime package, so Arkansas expected the pass. They know that that's their weakness. Uh, but they were expecting Alabama to pass. They came out in a dime uh, to try to defend it, and Bryce was carving them up. Uh, Bryce threw uh, for a touchdown. He would have had another uh, had the receiver not been uh, trapped up by the uh, sort of a turf monster. Bryce ran for a touchdown that was as cool as the other side of the pillow. And Bryce did have an interception, but thanks really to a no-call P.I. that, uh, That very easily had the pass interference not occurred. Uh, That very easily could have been another touchdown uh, for Bryce. But on the fateful play, uh, Bryce was sacked sort of with an extended arm, and and he got up from that play a little bit wincing. Uh, It was Drew Sanders. uh, It was an ankle uh, tackle, and then Bryce just sort of fell. So it wasn't uh, sort of a malicious hit or pounding down onto the quarterback. Uh, It's just the way that Bryce landed with his arm extended uh, that sort of tweaked his, his, um, his shoulder. A lot of different uh, uh, voices speculating on that at the end of the game. Saban said it was a sprained shoulder. 
Uh, Bryce did run into the locker room, uh, which for me, uh, a lot of times if you see a player with a separated shoulder, they don't want to run. They don't want to bounce in the weight of their shoulder. And so Bryce running into the locker room was something uh, of a good sign. And then when he came back out at half wearing his helmet all strapped up, that was a good sign. Uh, I think he did that for the troops. Uh, Even as he was celebrating some big plays, you could see he was wincing uh, or being very protective of the shoulder. I do think he's going to get back to Tuscaloosa. I think he's going to get a lot of treatment. Uh, The prognosis, I would say, is unknown, but I am highly optimistic. Uh, And if you're asking me, not the team, not the medical uh, director, certainly not Saban, but uh, if you're asking me, I suspect that uh, there's a pretty good chance that Bryce returns to action next Saturday. So we'll see. Uh, follow the reports this week and see see how that plays out. And what that what that resulted to on the field in the game is a Jalen Milrow sighting and not an end of a game sort of run the ball into the line of scrimmage uh, type sighting, but uh, truly game on the line, the heat of the game. Uh, Jalen Milrow coming out and running sort of his version of the offense. Saban will say that he can run the whole playbook. Uh, we know that. That's not exactly true. His skill set certainly is is different from Bryce, and dynamically so. Uh, it's kind of like the old joke we've heard about a moped, uh, moped, right? Riding a moped. All Alabama fans secretly wanted to see Jalen Mil- Milrow run the offense and what he could do, but no one wanted to say that that's what they wanted to see because that would have to mean bad things for Bryce, and so. While as a fan base, we were not pleased to see Bryce go out with injury and and what the ramifications that that could have, there was a tinge of sort of what might this be with Milrow coming out onto the field uh, as, as he runs sort of his version of the offense. And what's interesting, Saban said in a press conference this week, and we talked about it on the Zoom call this morning, is that even Saban says when Milrow comes in, late in games with the game sort of already decided that he's not able to run the full Jalen Milrow offense or the full sort of Jalen Milrow RPO run sort of uh, uh, dynamic plays or designs that are structured for him because the game's decided and we're not trying to run up the score on an opponent. So as much as we've seen pieces of Jalen Milrow, we've not seen what he is truly capable of doing when he's let loose on a defense. And so, again, there were a lot of Alabama fans, myself included, that were a little bit excited to get to see that. Again, we're not rooting for Bryce. We'd rather have Bryce in there. All of those things can be true, uh, but it can also be true that we get to, like, let's see what Milrow can do and let's see what uh, he can do with the offense. And it was a different style of offense, uh, but it was interesting and it was exciting and it had a little bit of sort of harken back to – uh, you know, Jalen Hurts, if you will. Milrow was four of nine on passing for 64 yards. A lot of those yards were uh, yak. They were after the catch. Uh, he did have a passing touchdown, uh, which was nearly all yak. Uh, but nonetheless, you've got to complete the pass. I would say Jalen Milrow was plagued by drops. I know Bryce was as well and has been throughout the season. Kamla, too, early in Milrow being on the field, uh, was was catching a ball and just looked away. He was turning up field. Uh, he was running before he caught it, sort of classic thing, and uh, and dropped a pass, and, and others did as well. Now, Milrow had six carries, and that's where the dynamic nature of his play comes in 
comes to bear. He had six carries for 91 yards. He did have one touchdown, and uh, ironically, he had a 76-yard run that was not a touchdown. He was out of bounds and then uh, scored a couple plays later. Uh, he had another run in the teens, 12 yards maybe, that went for a first down, and I believe that was on a third down. And so he had, uh, Jalen did, uh, Jalen Milrow, uh, some really nice production moving the ball uh, down the field. Uh, he was a weapon sort of uh, in his own right. Now we're going to talk about the running game, and as much as we enjoyed sort of the electric play of Milrow, we can't talk about the running game in this Arkansas uh, contest without giving a five-star salute to uh, Jameer Gibbs. Uh, McGear, uh, uh, Gibbs had two 70-plus yard uh, touchdowns, and uh, he had 18 carries on the day, 206 yards. We talked about uh, very recently, I want to say last week, we talked about we would not be surprised to wake up one day and see uh, uh, Gibbs have a 200-yard day, and lo and behold, he has it today. Uh, just days after we had said that. He also had two catches for 20 yards with a long of 17. And Gibbs did most of his damage uh, in, the, in, in the fourth quarter, really to really to ice the game, uh, which was phenomenal. The passing game in general, and this is across quarterbacks, Kobe Prentice uh, had a really nice day. He had three catches. They were all early. Three catches for 92 yards. Uh, we talked about um, Bryce stretching the field in the passing game, and that came that came very early uh, in the game. So uh, Kobe Prentice, true freshman, had three for 92, a touchdown, and a long of 47. And uh, that long of 47 was not the touchdown catch, and it came um, uh, it came uh, early in the game. Isaiah Bond had a nice uh, a nice day, two catches, 73 yards. He had a long of 53. Uh, he would have had a touchdown. It had the uh, had he not sort of tripped over um, uh, sort of the turf monster there. Uh, I originally thought he got tackled because the pass was underthrown. He had to wait wait for the pass, uh, and it turns out the pass was just just a hair overthrown. And as Isaiah just really had to reach out to to get the ball, uh, he sort of stumbled over over his feet. You'd always rather overthrow. Uh, I guess it depends on. I'm thinking down the field. I guess it depends on where the defenders are. Uh, you think categorically you'd rather overthrow than underthrow because uh, that's where the defender is. Uh, coverage can sort of make that wrong. Uh, Jojo Earl uh, saw his first action, which was really nice. Uh, he only one had uh, one grab, uh, but it was 22 yards. Uh, it was a big play, and so it was nice to see Jojo back in action uh, producing when I think about the Alabama receivers, and uh, I, I like, I want to just, just spend a, just a, a second on this and talk about the Alabama wide receivers, uh, just the entire sort of collective, the group uh, this year. There's a little bit that this receiving class reminds me of, uh, or this this receiving group reminds me of, and and, and as soon as I say it's like something then, you know, people say, oh, well, you're, you're doing sort of a true compare. And I'm not really doing a one-for-one one compare. I'm sort of in my mind, uh, this reminds me of something else. Uh, it's almost like, and you hear, uh, you know, people that drink wine or maybe some beers or, or some bourbons, they'll talk about tasting notes. And so they may talk about, hey, this bourbon tastes like, you know, banana chocolate pancake with a cinnamon dusting on a vanilla infused, you know, whipped cream. What does the bourbon taste like all of that? 
No, it, it doesn't. But are there are there notes or hints that sort of make you sort of think of those things? Yes. And so you don't pour the bourbon out and it look like a banana pancake, but there's notes or flavors. And so the tasting notes, I'm going to borrow that that sort of usage. I'm not saying this is like uh, this recruit receiving class is like another receiving class, but the tasting notes, if I can sort of borrow that concept, the tasting notes that I have on this receiver class uh, remind me of the 2017 receiving class. And we go back and we look at uh, the 2017 receiving class. Now I'm going to give you a list of all-stars, uh, Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs. Those were the top receivers in that class. And if you say, well, those guys, these guys that we have today, they can't hold a candle to that. Okay. But here's where we're talking uh, sort of a tasting note type uh, comparison. That season, we knew that they were all talented receivers. Uh, Calvin Ridley was, uh, I believe, a junior at that point. The other uh, other guys uh, were all freshmen. And we have the sort of the hindsight being what it is that those were all all-stars. They were all first-round picks and phenomenal players. We thought they were going to be phenomenal players that first season. And I had a moment that uh, – and, and so this is sort of an, you know a day in the life of the podcast – but we played Clemson in the opening round of the playoffs that season. And I was looking at scheduling a show uh, with the Clemson site and it just didn't work out. And uh, I think at the time, Tom and I did a show uh, sort of previewing uh, the Clemson game. And one of the things, the articles that I was reading really kind of stumped me. People were saying Alabama is, is a one receiver team. If you can shut down Calvin Ridley, you can shut down their entire offense. And as an Alabama fan, I just knew that it was that was wrong. There's there's no way. Do you not know who else is on the team? Jared Judy and Devonta Smith and Henry Ruggs. And look at the talent and caliber and quality of all these guys. Don't you know Devonte Smith helped us win the Mississippi State game? We never would have won that game had he not made sort of miraculous play uh, in the fourth quarter. You're underselling. You're undervaluing the rest of the receivers. Uh, but I didn't stop there. I went back and 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 looked at just the overall stats. Why would someone even say that? And the overall stats, and I'm even looking at the net numbers that include uh, the Clemson game and the Georgia game uh, that we won for the title. But the net season stats show Calvin Ridley with 63 catches and the next leading receiver had 14 with Jerry Judy. The next leading receiver had 12, Henry Ruggs, and the next leading receiver uh, had eight, uh, Devonta Smith. And so you look at those numbers and you say, well, absolutely. If you shut down uh, Calvin Ridley, you shut down their passing game. And it, and it became sort of, if you look at it numerically, that's true. But the concept is, the idea is that group is a whole lot better than their numbers. The, uh, the collection of talent is a whole lot better than that production. And we saw that in those two champ in those two rounds of playoff games. And then obviously we saw it in subsequent seasons. And so when I say like, that's what, that's sort of what I get when I swirl around in my mouth, uh, the receiving group that we have on this team, those are some of the flavors that, uh, that come to mind. When we think about freshman uh, Kobe Prentice, his big day today, Isaiah Bond had a big day today. He's caught uh, another uh, couple of big catches uh, previously, as has Kobe. Uh, Kendrick Law has, has made a couple of big catches, uh, shows a lot of promise 
in his game. Jojo Earl coming back. We saw the potential just on the cusp of greatness that he demonstrated last year. Him coming back, there's the opportunity uh, for that to happen. Jermaine Burton, we're st we still know that he's more talented than his numbers. We still know that he can do a lot more than we've seen. Uh, the same with Treshawn Holden. Uh, and Amari Nyblock with just in a, a sensational touchdown catch that, that he has. He can have six more of those. Uh, and then Cameron Latou, uh, if he matches his numbers from last year, he is now the all-time tight end touchdown uh, receiver in a season for Alabama. And so if he just gets back to that standard, it's a record-setting season. And so we sit here as Alabama fans, and we can say this group just isn't getting it done. On one hand, that's right. But on the other hand, is like this is a powder keg set to blow up, and uh, and and as I and I, we saw all, as Alabama fans again, we saw a little bit of that early in the game today. We saw a lot of that last week against Vanderbilt, and uh, I suspect we're going to continue to see uh, a lot of that forward. But uh, that's that's largely an aside. But I was I was going through and and prepping, uh, you know, sort of thoughts and notes for this game. Uh, I can't. I could not just separate myself from the concept that this batch of receivers, so much better than what we've seen. And you know, it's, we're right here, October first. Let's get to November first and check back with me. Uh, see if maybe uh, see if you don't uh, maybe agree with me in that regard. Gotta gotta love to talk about the offensive line on this day. Uh, this is as an offensive line. I want more and more and more of this offensive line. Give me a double scoop of, of this offensive line. I absolutely want more of it. And the more we see it and the more it plays, the more it gels and the better it gets. It's uh, it's really fun. To, uh, it's really fun to watch that. Tyler Booker uh, is in the rotation. Uh, I would say entrenched in the rotation now. Uh, he rotated rotated again at left and at right. And uh, I would not be surprised if he starts coming up here really soon. He probably gets his first start in a home game if there's not an injury. And uh, gosh, next week's a home game. I kind of thought he might get an opportunity to start uh, against Vanderbilt. But uh, I think with what he demonstrated against Arkansas on the road, that the coaches are more likely to say, now we can put him in the, in the starter and not be afraid that when we take our first road game with him as the starter, that uh, that he's not going to be prepared because he's I think certainly uh, you know clearly demonstrated that he has. Now I'm not rooting. That's not me rooting against Ekior. That's not me rooting against uh, Javon Cohen. I love how Saban has said uh, Tyler Booker's play has created uh, a competition at multiple positions, and we certainly know that's true at the guard position. With the benefit of and and I don't recall the source, but a benefit of an article I read last week, uh, and then. And then what I observed the game today, there's a little bit of a rotation where, uh, you know, Javion's at the at the left guard and uh, Eki at the right guard. And the first two possessions, the starters play. The third and fourth possession, Tyler Booker comes in and plays at left guard. The fifth and sixth, and so it's in increments of two. So two possessions he doesn't play. And then two he plays at left, and then two he plays at right, and then two more he doesn't play, and then he and it sort of repeats again until it gets to the point where it's the backups. And I don't think any time necessarily in this game did it truly go uh, to backups. Maybe late, late, uh, and I wasn't watching. But what that does is that gives Tyler Booker a lot of reps, sort of rotating in, uh, and he's getting experience at both of the two uh, positions. 
I don't know which of the guys he's going to beat out, but I know the coaching staff is watching that very, very closely. And the competition uh, is, is, has to be intense. And I know there, there's a camaraderie, you know, I'm trusting that they all get along, but uh, I know that there's, uh, there's some intense competition uh, at those positions. And so we'll see how that, uh, how that plays out. Uh, unrelated, Darian Dalcourt was out uh, out of the game Saturday. Uh, I didn't get a sort of a full disclosure as to the reason or why it was a practice injury or a back strain. I heard I heard or saw back strain somewhere uh, that's unofficial. Nonetheless, he didn't he didn't start any nor did he play. And so uh, Seth McLaughlin uh, got the start at center. And uh, I just want to say, hey, you know, game four, game five. We got the starting five uh, across the offensive line that we predicted in our preseason uh, reviews. And so we got Steen at the left. Uh, we got Javian uh, left tackle. We got Javian at the left guard. We got McLaughlin at center and then Eki and, uh, and J.C. Latham. And so the key differentials, we were predicting sort of a 40 percent turnover across the offensive line. Uh, we were saying, uh, remember, way back at the beginning of the season, uh, Kendall Randolph was the left guard. And so we knew that needed to be JV and Cohen. And then um, Dalcourt was the center. We thought and still think that needs to be McLaughlin. Now, what happens when Dalcourt comes back? I don't know, but we're creating competition for the positions. And and uh, at some level, that's uh, that's all you can read for. Uh, but as I was sort of putting together my notes and looking at who starts and how, how I want to sort of represent that, it sort of dawned on me. This is what we predicted. These are the these are the starting five, and we went through. If you remember that preseason, we said, "Look, here's what the uh, when the depth chart official depth chart comes out. Here's what it's going to say, and here's what we think it ought to say, and here's what we think it probably will say by week four or week five. And uh, man, I wish there was a betting window to take uh, to take that prediction because because we nailed it. Uh, I do want to say just another observation about the offensive line, and. Um, for me, this is more comical uh, than than anything else. I am very much a a traditionalist when you think about numbers across the offensive lines. I tend to look at the center is a fifty number, uh, a number in the fifties. Uh, it a center can be a number in the sixties. I'm not mad at that, uh, but I typically think is the center is a number in the fifties or sixties. The guards are in the sixties, and the tackles are in the seventies. And uh, I typically think of it that way. Th- that's never 100% true, but it largely is pretty directional true, d- directionally true. And so if you watch teams, you'll see, and then especially if that's kind of how your, your mind is oriented around the numbers at those positions, when you see something different, it just looks like, man, they're playing a lot of guards or they're playing a lot uh, sort of players have changed positions over, over their career, uh, which certainly can happen. And so when we look at Alabama's uh, starting, starting lineup, uh, Steen is over at uh, at left tackle, and he's sporting a 54. And so that looks like a center that's moved out to, to left tackle. Uh, we've got Jamie and Cohen in at guard, and he's wearing 70. Uh, I still think uh, tackle might be his, maybe even right tackle, uh, might be his best position. But it's interesting. There's a 70 in at guard. Uh, Dalkert's number 71, and he's right there in the center position. So that's interesting. Uh, Ekior's 55. And so, you know, he started a little bit at center and, and over at um, – over at guard, wearing a 50 series. Uh, and then J.C. Latham is out at the other tackle, and he's wearing a 65. Uh, and so you might look like, man, we don't have a true center or, or, or a true tackle sort of in the bunch. And turns out we got two really good ones. Uh, just their numbers aren't sort of traditionally uh, tackle numbers. 
Uh, when we bring in Tyler Booker at the guard positions, he's 52, and so that looks like more of a center position in my mind. And uh, and by golly, Seth McLaughlin, he comes in number 56 uh, at the center position. He just looks like he's at home, not only with his play, but by gosh, with his number two. So uh, so there you have it. Wrapping up the offense, let's talk about our mini game ball. And I'm going to give my mini game ball to uh, Kendall Randolph, uh, sort of the tight end, extra lineman, uh, when he comes in there and uh, and lines up wearing number 85. And, you know, I've given him this before because he's really he really is uh, a versatile player. He's just not dominant enough, I don't think, uh, to take one of the five uh, offensive line positions. But, damn, he's really good is, uh, is that sort of six lineman. Uh, that's that sort of blocking tight end. And so I always like to see that. And then uh, Gary Danielson, I don't know if he listens to the podcast. I, I, in fact, I would likely guess that he doesn't. Uh, but man, if he didn't really just jump up and down. And so maybe I got Danielson in my in my sort of earworm. But uh, uh, Gary Danielson was all about just uh, that Kendall Randolph is in it, that extra lineman, that you know, converted lineman at the extra, you know, tight end position. And he went on and on and on and on. And Randolph has been doing this for years and no one has really sort of made any any comment about it. And so I got sort of a kick of, of Danielson. Some people really, really don't like him. I'm kind of indifferent. Uh, sometimes I, I really do like him. And, and you know, at tense moments in the game, everyone says stupid things. So, uh, but at any rate, I got a kick out of uh, Danielson really sort of doubling down and he said it like three or four times, uh, which I thought was interesting. And uh, we've been saying it for two or three seasons uh, now. So I get, a, I get a big kick out of that. So that's always fun. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. All right, let's flip the field to defense. And uh, it's easy to think about, oh, the defense really struggled on Saturday. And the reality is the defense had a moment of struggle uh, or moments of struggle. Uh, but they didn't struggle the entire day. The, the defense did not. And not all of the points scored by Arkansas are truly the fault of the defense. Uh, in baseball, you would say maybe they, are in, they inherited a runner. And so let's break, uh, break down you know, how the defense really performed overall. A couple of the stats that really jump out to me, Alabama defense held Arkansas to 5 of 17 on third down conversions. And we're going to come back to that one because that one's kind of interesting how that breaks down. Alabama held Arkansas to one, uh, zero of one on for fourth down uh, conversions, held Arkansas to 377 total yards, which is bigger than we like, but that's not terrible. Uh, only 190 passing yards, and so that starts to look like a very pedestrian number. Uh, 187 rushing yards. Now, Alabama, uh, we sort of kidded about this after the LMU game uh, that um, 
Alabama had held uh, an opponent to 87 yards, another to 87 yards, and one to like 86 yards or 87 yards or whatever it was. And then so Arkey comes in and runs for a buck 87. Uh, so nearly doubling. Uh, and and Vanderbilt had a really low running number, uh, rushing number last last week. Uh, so it sort of lowered that average. And so Arkansas comes in and more than doubles the rushing yards that Alabama has been allowing. So that's not insignificant. Uh, there was definitely uh, some blown uh, run fits uh, on some runs. But Arkansas has been averaging more than 200 yards so far uh, every game. Not averaging, but achieving, uh, eclipsing uh, 200 yards uh, every game so far this season. And so to Alabama, to hold them below that number, close to that number, but below it, demonstrates some uh, some improvement. Uh, there were six Alabama defenders that were in on seven or more tackles, and there were four more Alabama defenders that were in on uh, at least six tackles. So 10 Alabama, uh, different Alabama defenders in on at least six tackles. So that speaks to uh, a lot of plays by uh, the offense, a lot of maybe shorter yards plays, because you have to have the opportunities for that many plays to have that many players to have that many tackles. And we're saying in on tackles, and so these are not all solos, and some of these are going to double count. But nonetheless, these are numbers that you don't always see. And so that definitely, definitely did uh, stand out. There were absolutely moments in sort of you bracket the late uh, second quarter and most of the third quarter. That's when Arkansas did nearly all of their scoring damage. Uh, there were moments in that span where Alabama really had no, no answer for K.J. Jefferson and his RPO. I hate to compare him to Cam Newton, but he's kind of like Cam Newton. Uh, in the fact that he can run, he can pass. He's big-bodied, uh, six six four, six five, whatever it is, two forty. So he's a big-bodied athlete, and he's not afraid to sort of uh, run the ball, uh, run with the ball, uh, especially in short-yarded situations, and and run with a physicality. And so that's something. Uh, you talk about a quarterback being a runner, you know, then that's another weapon. Uh, that's another runner, if you will, or ball carrier that you have to account for. And, we ha- and when you have someone that does it with that, that type of physicality, that sort of automatically creates athletic mismatches, then, you know, they can have success, uh, some success. And, and KJ uh, certainly did. But I want to talk about these, these third downs um, and, and sort of it, and add just a, you know, we all watch the game, right? But sometimes hearing it sort of, here's what kind of really happened, uh, just – uh, you know, adds, adds a little bit of sort of flavor, adds a little bit of context. Uh, and also for me, it's sort of like, yeah, we didn't suck all day. It was only in this moment and we can fix that. And so uh, I want I want to, you know, speak to maybe a little bit of that a little bit. So Arkansas's first six possessions resulted in five punts and one fumble. So that's a dominant. Uh, to start the game, Alabama defense was absolutely dominant. Five punts, one fumble on six possessions. As we get into in late into the 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 half, the second quarter, uh, and in fact, I believe it's Arkansas's last possession. Uh, in fact, it is Arkansas's last possession of the first half, which was their seventh possession. Uh, it was on that possession that they scored uh, a touchdown. Of the uh, now, what's interesting that is when Arkansas made an adjustment and really started to dial in what they were doing on offense. They had no third down conversions on that seventh drive. It was first and second downs, 
just rolling back over to, to first downs. And so the Arkansas offense really had something figured out late in the half, uh, and they really were rolling down the field. Uh, as we get into the third quarter, uh, we talked about Arkansas had five third down conversions. Four of those five third down conversions came in the third quarter. Four of their five third down conversions came in the third quarter. All four of those were on scoring drives. So all four of those third down conversions were on the scoring drives that Arkansas had in the third quarter where where they put up, the Hogs did, uh, 16 points. And so while five of 17 is really, really good, they weren't evenly distributed across the game. They were concentrated in in a part of the game where the Arkansas offense were, was making adjustments, making tweaks, uh, really sort of throwing the kitchen sink uh, at Alabama, and, uh, and, and they had great success uh, in doing that. One of the first downs or the third down conversions uh, was a penalty, and so I want to talk about uh, Toa Toa. He himself had not a bad day, but by no stretch of the imagination did Henry Toa Toa have his best day. Uh, we love the kid, but we're going to be candid about his play uh, on Saturday. Uh, he was in on um, uh, Hank was he was in on ten tackles, uh, three were solo, but his penalty uh, on the late hit and it was completely unnecessary. It was a bravado. A lineman was standing uh, at the foot of the pile, and he comes up and hits him. Uh, and so two, uh, two officials flagged that. That's just an absolutely stupid play. Uh, it was third and fi- when that happened, it was third and 15. And it was the fourth play. Uh, third and 15 would have gone to fourth down, would have punted. So it would have been a four play possession, including the punt. I'm sorry, it would have been a five play possession, including the punt, because they got a first down, uh, I think, on first down and then second, third, fourth. Uh, from there. So it happened on the fourth play of what ended up being a 13 play scoring drive. Uh, And so that's aggravating. That should never have happened. Smarter players play smarter, uh, make smarter plays than that. And I'm not mad at Henry because he's a really good player. He's going to go back and look at that and say, damn it, I can't do that. I hurt my team uh, in that regard. Uh, Henry also had uh, another play on an Arkansas touchdown where he read the quarterback's eyes and the quarterback moved Henry out of the way and then went back and threw, uh, threw behind him to the receiver in the end zone. Uh, and so that led uh, to, uh, to a touchdown. Uh, I believe it was a zone, uh, a zone coverage that Alabama was running. I don't know for sure, but I think. Uh, but And so if Henry had not read the eyes and let and just understood that that's – if the quarterback's going to look – uh, to my right uh, or to my left, then someone else is going to pick that up because I'm going to stand here because these are the blades of grass that I'm defending. Had had he made that decision, then the receiver behind him would have never been open. Uh, but he drifted, and this is why quarterbacks do this, really good quarterbacks do this. Uh, they can move defenders with their eyes. Uh, Henry was moved with the quarterback's eyes, uh, quarter, and, the, and the pass was able to, to come in behind him. Now, these are two plays that don't characterize – um, Henry Toa Toa. There are two plays that that happened, uh, and and they're 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 not representative of who he is as a player, but they are plays that did happen, uh, and he allowed them to happen on Saturday. And and I think there's an irony that says this is the week 
that DJ Dale said, Henry Toa is a genius. He studies so much film. He knows everything that's going out. He's calling plays out as they're happening. Now, I believe that to be true. Uh, and, and Henry was, was very modest when he was asked about it. And he said, you know, it's all film study. Uh, this is a tough defense, and we really have to prepare for our, our opponents. Uh, he was asked, who else is sort of genius caliber on the defense? And Henry had the perfect answer. He goes, look, this is a hard defense to run. And there's so many sort of wrinkles and options. We all have to prepare. Everyone does their homework. Everyone does their film study. Everyone's a genius on the defense, which is the right perfect answer. Uh, but I'll give him credit as being he's he probably is one of the smarter players uh, in terms of understanding uh, all the concept. And as a middle linebacker, he damn well better be. Uh, and so I, there's a little bit of irony that the week that that was in the dialogue is the week that he made probably two of his bigger gaffes that I've seen, or at least that, that come to my memory. Uh, I think these are things that, that Toa Toa will 100% clean up, and uh, it's not something that uh, we're going to see sort of permeate in his performance on the, on the go forward. But we're going to call out what we see, and uh, we're going to call out sort of the irony of the moment. You can guarantee as a player that goes back and watches film, he's going to watch that. He's going to recognize that. He's going to have this same same sort of thought process, and uh, and he's going to do work to fix it. Uh, Jalen Moody, I thought, was very physical. Uh, he was in on eight tackles. He had a sack. He had two uh, TFLs. There was one play where uh, it looked like the running back was going to, and maybe it was KJ, was going to slip out. But Henry sort of had, or, or uh, uh, Jalen Moody had sort of grabbed him by the, uh, by the ankle and just was not going to let go and and, uh, and ended up uh, bringing him down. That was a big play. Uh, it looked like Moody was sort of going to get sort of rolled over and and, and, and out of the way. And, and he said, look, I'm going to hang on to what I've got and, uh, and, and eventually sort of contributed to uh, the tackle. He's a very physical player. I enjoy watching him play, and uh, I'm glad that he's getting sort of his due. Jordan Battle had uh, was in on eight uh, tackles. Again, we had a lot of players that were in on uh, a lot of tackles, and I really want to shout out Jordan Battle. He's a player that looked like uh, went out with a hamstring late in the game uh, against Vanderbilt, and so hamstrings, you just don't know what's going to happen. You can feel better for multiple days and then sort of tweak it or step off a curb wrong and sort of be back to square one. And so I'm not just going to suggest that he's out of the woods, but he did not appear to be on a pitch count in any sort of way uh, Saturday, nor did his play uh, appear to be impacted uh, in any sort of way. So that's good because I do believe uh, he is a keen leader in the secondary. Uh, Jaheim Otis, I mean, this guy's a beast. Uh, he had a sack. Uh, he was in on a number of tackles. Will Anderson just had another highlight real day. Uh, again, he was impacting the performance of the offense even greater than his stat line. And that's something we haven't been able to say a whole lot. Uh, and if we can start to say that week after week down the stretch here, uh, that's going to bode well for Alabama. But Will Anderson was in on seven tackles, had half a sack and uh, one and a half TFLs. Tim Smith was in on five tackles. He had a big day. Uh, he had half a sack. Uh, he, he was really active and mobile uh, across the defensive front. Brian Branch, who might be one of or our more gifted uh, secondary players, he truly is a talent in the secondary. He went out with an injury. Uh, it looked like Malachi Moore stepped in at the star, uh, which is 
was very comfortable position for Malachi. Malachi was uh, the star as a freshman. Uh, his sophomore year had some injury, and so Brian Branch took over uh, at the star. And this year, Brian Branch sort of held on to the position, uh, but Malachi Moore can can play it very, very well. So not a big drop-off uh, when those players uh, sort of rotate that uh, that position. Where you start to see, you know, potential impact is when you move to the dime. And so you go to six defensive backs uh, with Branch at the star. Then Malachi Moore would come in and, and be the sixth with Branch being out, Malachi coming in as the fifth. Uh, we saw sophomore defensive back. The name will be familiar, Devonta Smith. There's the second one. And uh, he's a sophomore defensive back. And so it looked like he came in number eight uh, a couple of times in the dime. So that was certainly interesting to see. Justin Aboibe missed the game. Uh, not a lot of information about that. I imagine we'll hear some a little bit this week. Someone I ask and piss off Saban, and that'll be uh, a fun presser to listen to. I heard it was an injury in practice. That's about all I know. I don't know anything, anything else about it. Justin's been playing really well. He's been our mini game ball uh, for a couple of weeks. And uh, what's interesting is I'm going to tie Justin to the mini game ball, but I'm not giving it to him this week. Uh, this week's mini game ball goes to Byron Young just because he's a tough SOB. Uh, he was in on six tackles, two solo. Last week against Vanderbilt, if you'll remember, he was carted off the field. And uh, and he came back on the sideline uh, in flip-flops uh, on you know with crutches. And so that was an indication that he must kind of be okay because he's out there with flip-flops. Uh, originally, he didn't have a boot, but then they added the boot. Uh, I saw someone uh, mention that uh, a walking boot is official Alabama football sports uh, uh, footwear. I think that's hilarious. I also think it's true. Uh, but the fact that Byron Young, with a boy being out, I thought, hey, we're good if Byron can't play because Aboibe has really been playing well. And then Aboibe was out hurt, and I was like, well, wait a second now. If we're out both of them, uh, then that might be an issue. Uh, but Byron Young come in, came in and played. He did not in any way, way shape, or form appear limited. I, I don't know what sort of rotation or play count that they're on, uh, but he didn't seem he didn't seem out of sorts in any way. He didn't seem to hobble. Uh, not certainly not that, that I saw. I don't know that he was explosive as we've seen him, but he was certainly able to contribute throughout all four quarters of the game. And for that reason, uh, Byron Young is getting my mini game ball. All right, uh, let's talk uh, special teams. And, and here's where I think we have uh, a couple of interesting things to say. So let's get the good stuff out of the way. Will Reichert, well, I, I say that. Will Reichert missed a 50-plus yarder, uh, so I guess that's not necessarily good stuff. Uh, but he was 7 of 7 on his PATs, so that was certainly nice. All of his kickoffs went into the end zone, uh, so I don't think there was a single kickoff return that uh, that Arkansas had. And so so that's really good. I know they get the ball in the 25, but they're limited for making explosive plays. I'd rather our guys possess the ball, keep it on the 25. And so the fact that the other uh, team does that, I'm okay with that too. Uh, no one gets hurt on, on on a play like that, and then they don't have an opportunity to to bust one. So I'm okay kicking it off, of, uh, kicking out of the end zone in that regard. Uh, burn up the punter. He had three punts and he averaged uh, 45, 45.7, so right at 46 yards or uh, per punt. So that was phenomenal. Kool Aid McKinstry at the punt returner. He had three returns for 77 yards, so he averaged 25.7. Saban says we like to get 10 per punt return. And so, uh, you know, that's a first down on punt return. 
And so averaging uh, two and a half times that much uh, is really nice. Uh, Kool-Aid had a long of 45. So he continues to be a weapon uh, even as teams try to punt away from him. Uh, and I would say evidenced by there were five punts that Kool-Aid was not able to return. And that's a mix of really a sky punt uh, that allows the coverage to get down the field. And, uh, and there were some punts that were dropped out of bounds uh, as well. So when given the opportunity, Kool-Aid had great success. And, uh, and then the fact that he didn't always have an opportunity is because the, uh, the other team's special team, uh, special teams are trying to keep the ball out of his hands. And sometimes doing that can actually lead to bad punts. Uh, so being in the head of the punter and in the head of the return team, uh, definitely something uh, is a positive. Now, there were a couple. We talked about the defense having a lapse in the third quarter. It's not all on the defense. I would say in in, in some regards, maybe as much as 50% or greater, uh, the third quarter sort of train wreck that, that Alabama fans we experienced was – in no small part related to uh, special teams. And I would even call it the third quarter debacle featuring Alabama special teams. They're uh, Arkansas. Now look, they're playing to win to their competitive team. Uh, I think they're a really good team and uh, they were pulling out all the stops. And so they went for an onside kick and, um, and they got it. And what's interesting, they got the onside kick. And so they, that, that allowed them to sort of repossess the ball uh, they drove down with that extra possession. Uh, they drove down, uh, put up a field goal, which uh, brought them to 11. Obviously, they were looking for uh, a touchdown there, which would have gotten them down, uh, gotten them to, you know, what's the math on that, I guess, would have gotten them to, to seven within a, within a touchdown. But uh, uh, they did score on uh, consecutive uh, possessions. They drew the game to, uh, to 11. So now here's here's what's interesting. What's interesting is uh, it was a 12 play uh, 12 play drive, and so this is on the the additional uh, possession. Uh, it was a 12 play 12 play uh, drive, 50 yards. Uh, took about six minutes uh, off the clock. That was following a seven uh, play drive, 78 yards uh, that Arkansas had uh, that took right at three minutes uh, uh, three minutes off the clock that that was followed by uh, an Alabama punt, um, and that was followed by – so all of these sort of stringed together, this sort of uh, – this spiral of, of, of bad play. That was followed by, by Alabama having a bad snap uh, on a punt. It actually hit Toa Toa uh, up here to – and then ricocheted off, and then uh, burn up went and sort of corralled the ball at the four uh, rather than risk, you know, a turnover. Now – it's easy to look back and say, burn up, you either just should have let the ball go uh, out of the end zone or when you corral the ball, run out of the end zone, and then it's a safety, and then we punt to them as opposed to giving them a touchdown or one play later, giving, giving them the ball at the four. One play later, Arkansas did uh, score a touchdown. And uh, all of that is sort of the, the third quarter debacle. And you can see how these plays sort of – uh, are these circumstances uh, sort of build uh, upon uh, one another? Uh, Alabama sort of put their foot in the ground and said, this is not how we're going to go down uh, and had three consecutive possessions uh, that included a 70-yard run. That's got to be a record somewhere, uh, three straight possessions. Uh, two of those runs were touchdowns. 
and uh, ironically, one was not, uh, but was quickly followed up by a touchdown. So when things got their darkest, uh, Alabama really sort of planted their foot and said, we're just going to run the hell out of the ball. And uh, we talked about Gibbs being just so darn explosive. He had two of those. And we talked about Milrow being so darn explosive. Uh, and he had uh, he had one of those uh, as well. So it was good to see sort of we talked about a growth moment. This is a proud parent being proud of, of, of their child having sort of a growth moment. And sort of that darkness of these things spiraling out of control and the opponent getting close. And we've seen Alabama teams lose these kinds of games. This Alabama team said, nope, it doesn't matter that we don't have our quarterback. We're going to rise up. We're going to bootstrap this thing. And not only are we barely going to eke out a win, but we're going to put up a final score that uh, will make others uh, – you know, consider this sort of more of a dominant blowout. I mean, 49 to 26, right? Uh, it's a 23 uh, point point margin. So that bodes well for the tide, not just not just today, obviously. Uh, other opponents are going to look at that and say, damn, Alabama's going to be hard to beat. They're, they can rat, run off 70-yard uh, touchdown runs when the opponent knows that's what they're going to do. They're going to have success running the ball when everyone in the building knows that they're going to run the ball because, you know, it's not a passing quarterback. What's going to happen when Bryce comes back and everyone knows that he's a talented passer, Heisman winner, you can't argue with that. We have this collection of wide receiver talent, and now the running game is coming together uh, in this way. Is all of this sort of gets pulled together and dialed in, and, you you, you know, you wish that's what, what happened during fall practice. Uh, but as this gets dialed in uh, into uh, October, Alabama may emerge from October as a truly dominant, dangerous team. And so that's all uh, what we're rooting for. All right. So that's what we're hoping for. Uh, but let's talk about what we know is going to happen. And so next up, Texas A&M under the lights in Tuscaloosa. Uh, A&M nearly lost to Arkansas last week. You could argue that they, they should have. Uh, they have experienced an ugly loss to Mississippi State uh, earlier today, and uh, and previously they have lost to uh, Appalachian State. And so I wonder, I don't know this to be true, but I wonder if Texas A&M, I don't know the sort of the competitive character uh, of their team, are they going to rise up or are they just going to collapse? And uh, that may be uh, sort of an interesting um that may be an interesting uh, set of observations uh, over this next week. And certainly uh, watching them come to Tuscaloosa, that's going to be a hostile environment. Uh, Alabama is going to be revenge minded. And this defense is really establishing some, some call it hateful tendencies. And so if the Aggies are, and again, I don't, I'm not, I don't know their competitive character, so I'm not besmirching them. I've just, we've just seen enough football where we've seen teams sort of fold and are they going to do that or not? I don't know, but I tell you, this Alabama defense and sort of this hateful mentality, uh, so to speak, they would love nothing more than to sort of push uh, AM over the ledge and in, into sort of collapse space. So that's going to be uh, a very interesting sort of sub-story or subplot in the game this week. I personally believe that Bryce will not be required uh, next Saturday, which probably is a bold statement. I think given what is Alabama fans, given what I saw in this Arkansas game, I think coming home against Texas A&M, who I honestly don't believe is as good 
is Arkansas. And I think they're down a player. One of their players uh, went down with an injury that's out. Uh, name escapes me. It was one of their offensive weapons. I just don't think they're as good of a, of a team. I think that this Alabama team can take care of Texas A&M without Bryce. Now, we see what Mississippi State did with their passing game against Texas A&M. So if Bryce comes out, he might have quite a day. Uh, but again, I think Alabama can take care of this business. I do. I will predict this. If Bryce doesn't play, Milrow obviously will lead the team, and, and he'll do what he does. But look for a rotation. Maybe it's three possessions to one or a couple of carved-out possessions in the second quarter. But I suspect that we're going to see some designated, allocated playtime uh, for Ty Smith. So that might be something uh, to watch. Uh, but again, I'm making these sort of predictions, and and they can't all be right because I'm, I'm predicting in a couple of different directions. I think Bryce is going to be back. I think uh, I, I think uh, based on what I know today, I think he's going to be back. We'll find out o- over the course of the week. Uh, so we'll ha- we'll see how that plays out. Uh, and so all of that sort of together, uh, I look at Alabama against AM next Saturday under the lights in Tuscaloosa. I look at it as uh, a 30 to 13 style game. And so that might be uh, interesting uh, to see how that plays out. All right. We haven't done this in, uh, in a little bit, but uh, on the Zoom call this morning, and if you're not on those, you really, really should should get on those and reach out and we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll get you on those. But uh, we we went through and made uh, predictions for today's uh, today's score. And so the final score, uh, I just said it, the final score was 49 to, to 26. And so we think 49 to 26, that's a 23 point margin. And who, who picked closest to that? And I'll tell you what, I don't even know how to answer that question. Uh, both Clint and Chris picked Alabama to score 49 points. And so they were right in that column. Uh, they both, and it wasn't Chris, it was Chip. Clint and Chip, I can't read my own writing here. Clint and Chip both predicted Alabama to score uh, 49 points. Uh, they predicted uh, Arkansas to score significantly less than that. And so their their margins were uh, 35 and 42, and the actual game margin was, was 23. Arkansas scored 26, and we had two people, Doug and Caleb, who predicted that Arkansas would score 24. And so that's pretty close without, uh, without going over. Uh, Travis uh, picked uh, Arkansas to score 28. That's two-point differential as well. We'll do prices right, uh, closest without going over. And, uh, and so they were close in, in one of the categories. And sort of the third category is overall point differential. And so the point differential in the game was, was 23. And turns out I picked it to be a 21-point game. And so I was closest uh, to that. We had a couple that were over. In fact, we had several that were over. We had uh, a couple that were under. And so I don't know. How do you pick the winner on that? Uh, a couple of guys picked the Alabama score, which is phenomenal. Uh, a couple of guys came within two points of picking the Arkansas score, which was phenomenal. But they were far enough wrong on sort of the net differential that they weren't quite as close. And then I didn't pick anybody's exact score, but I picked a, a point differential of 21. And so I don't know if that makes me the winner. 
or not. But uh, damn, it's just fun anyways. And so get on the calls, enjoy the conversations with us. Our next call is next Thursday uh, because next Saturday we do these Thursday night when it's a home game, Saturday morning when it's uh, an away game. So we can all sort of dial in. So this week is a Thursday night. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, hit us up at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Uh, for any of uh, for the information, we'll, we'll sort of talk you through. Spoiler alert, you know, we, we open this up to our support team. And so go join the support team for $2 a month and get to be on the Zoom calls. Uh, gosh, that's well worth it. Um, at any rate, not a hard sell, but I wanted to give a shout out to our, our picks and all the people that participated. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Uh, we had nine folks participate in the picks. And so on the Zoom call, and I think we had a couple of folks that had to, had to drop early. So uh, so there you have it. It's a heck of a lot of fun and uh, a good group that uh, uh, we enjoy talking ball with. All right, enough of that. This has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.